Welcome to Excessive Banter, the podcast. Life's experiences, unfiltered and unscripted. Conversations from one old guy to another, with wicked good people from time to time. I was thinking, it'd be a great day for a walk. Headphones in, don't need to talk about it. Here we go, Excessive Banter, episode two. Uh, kickstand, my wingman, is not around today, so I figured I'd just start jumping into this and start recording a few things about the things I'm hearing, learning, know, done badly, um, and improved on. Uh, one thing that inspired me today, I actually listened to a great episode uh, from my friends at Elevating You, um, Craig Can, uh, Mike Mooney, and Jill Bauer. Uh, they were pretty much talking about success things to do from a career, whether it's resetting, understanding what you're supposed to do. So it kind of inspired me to think about the things that didn't really resonate um, as regards to the difference between success and what's actually acceptable failures. Uh, a lot of us go across our lives and we start talking about what we should have done, you know, the shoulda, coulda, wouldas, what we would have done if it, things were differently. Those things really don't matter unless you're actually able to change yourself. I myself am never able to change myself. Uh, my biggest flaw is execution. So I think one of the areas where hopefully I'll be able to step out of my comfort zone is to bring this to effect here with this podcast, uh, with what Kickstand and I will bring to the table, the guests that we bring to the table. So from experiences of what has been a failure. Um, I think for me, it started way back um, educational. Um, you know, I was a Catholic school kid from grammar school all the way up to high school and never really motivated to do anything. Great schools, but just fell on my face a lot because I didn't apply myself. And that's part of execution. Didn't really understand what to do. And it's funny how that has since transformed in my latter years, um, in my 50s now, to understand understand when you're supposed to react, what you're supposed to say, how you act. And I think this is a good segue to talk about how I acted from teenage years through my latter years. So I was, surprise, surprise, shocking, the class clown. No matter where I was, I worked out some things that I knew I would always try to make people laugh. And that often got me into a lot of trouble, whether it was teachers, principals, nuns, priests, parents, and other family members. So I pretty much took that from a young age. I think my influences were Benny Hill, Monty Python, and a whole bunch of other unnecessary things in the younger years. Then as I started to get older, I started to hit the Boston scene. And to give you the other background, I've done a lot of jobs uh, since high school all the way up until now, and the jobs that gave me the most pleasure were the ones that usually caused the most havoc or where I witnessed some things. Uh, for example, uh, working at a rental car, um, just 16 and a half, got my license right away, worked in downtown Boston. It turned out to be right next to the Comedy Connection and Nick's Comedy Stop. So we had a lot of interaction with the comedians, uh, saw Lenny Clark, um, Anthony Clark, a very young Anthony Clark, John Panette, uh, Tony V, obviously Don Gavin, Steve Sweeney, um, Steve Wright, and um, Dennis Leary, even when he was coming up uh, through the through the ranks, uh, Mike McDonald. 
those were the type of guys that I would try to emulate. Uh, sarcasm became very easy for me, and again, is what led me to get into a lot of trouble. Within high school, I think the most infamous trouble scandal thing that I ever brought upon myself was one time at uh, Sacred Heart High School in Weymouth. It's no longer there, but we were there for, I think it was a dance, and the dancers were in the cafeteria downstairs, and we kind of broke into the school side, uh, a couple of my friends, and we were running through the hallways. But, you know, stupid teenage boys, we completely forgot that the nuns lived upstairs on the third and fourth floor. So as we're running around the, the basement, first and second floor, uh, we were kind of like running, playing tag in the dark, tackling each other, just not breaking anything, but just being mischievous. And I decided I was going to hide in this dark hallway around a corner and grabbed a CO2 fire extinguisher. These are the 30 pounders, the good size ones. And I was waiting for someone to run up on me so I could just basically unload it. When all of a sudden the door behind me opened up and without hesitation, I pulled the pin and emptied the entire 30 pound CO2 fire extinguisher at this person who was standing there. And when the CO2 dust cleared, there standing there was <laughs> Sister Vincentine with her lip quivering and just covered. And she was a full habit nun. I think sisters the same Arthur's. And so there's this white penguin standing there shivering. And I just died laughing. So this was a Friday night, Monday morning. They, I have to meet with the principal and we go down and they never asked for my parents, but I had to report directly to the principal's office. And when I reported to the principal's office, Sister Teresa, that was her name, Sister Teresa, she loved me and she took into account what I did, but she knew that Sacred Heart was not the place for me. So what she ended up doing is she didn't expel me. She transferred me to Don Bosco Tech, downtown Boston, which is where I wanted to go in the first place. The bittersweet irony is not once did they ever contact my parents. They just forwarded the transcripts to Don Bosco with the letter saying that I'm worthy transfer. So my parents in the later years passed away, never knowing that story. So I ended up going to the school I wanted to go after getting kicked out. But there's a separate story there that I ended up going to a, from a co-ed Catholic school to an all-boys school. And yeah, there's a downside there. And let's be perfectly clear, I was never really a ladies' man or a player. I was definitely a late bloomer. And anybody who's listening who knows me, um, you know, keep your comments to yourself. Now, what all this jumping around from school to school and the behavior led me to start to understand about myself is uh, tolerance, behavior, attitude, especially when you're going to try to be sarcastic. So I think comedy uh, became my escape. Um, it definitely didn't stop me from doing things that were bad. Um, never really did anything that was law breaking, but definitely susceptible to, you know, bad teenager behaviors that kind of reflected upon what I was doing with friends um, and throughout my uh, years up until, I guess, pre-adulthood. Most of this is kind of reflected on the behavior of the group you're with, you know, the gang, the crowd, uh, which a lot is um, still very connected to at this point. Uh, we had a very huge blend of personalities. Uh, we had a couple that did military. We would had a couple that got married and dated young um, and are still married today with very large families. So they're the old people with the old kids, and I'm an old guy with a young kid. 
this kickstand and I said in the previous episode, uh, growing up in the Dorchester neighborhoods, uh, it was very close. It was a very different time, obviously. Uh, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have social media. We didn't have um, even access to just typical communication other than a parent yelling out a window, looking at the streetlights when it was time to get home, or having a typical schedule where you knew you were either late or you weren't late. But within the neighborhood, you had your reliable sources, which was your group, uh, your family. Everybody knew each other. Uh, definitely a different time, again, where I could have walked from my area, which was Neponset, and go all the way up to Phil's Corner, and somebody would drive by, a parent or something, and say, what are you doing all the way up here? Tell you to get in the car and drive off. Those are acceptable. These times... That's not acceptable. Uh, your kids obviously are a little more uh, central, uh, not decentralized, and they're able to kind of have a communication without actually even going anywhere. But for us, if you didn't go anywhere, you really didn't do anything. Um, and again, these are things that teach us a lot now um, in this day and age where you need to be able to be um, seen heard, understood, and relatable. Um, so, you know, translating something from a sales aspect, if you can understand character and know the people that you're with and the people you grew up with, their behaviors, their attitude, it's no different from doing your normal job, your sales, your coworkers, understanding what's important, what to avoid, what not to do, what's the right thing to do, those type of things. I really wish I had a grasp on when I was younger. Um, it obviously didn't help me. Um, I definitely wasn't one of the perfect kids. Um, I had a lot of issues that related and translated into, I guess, addictions later on in life. Actually, not even later on in life. It was while I was a teenager that kind of put me in a position that I was always correcting. Um, I was adjusting, never really going down the path of where I should have been going versus trying to get back on the path that quite possibly would have brought me to a better place. Not saying that I'm not in a good place now, but it probably would have helped me early on in life, make some better choices. In a time of role models, I think, you know, obviously my problems was I looked to people that were a little more outspoken, a little more um, risky, you know, but when I think back, uh, my role models were pretty much my dad and, you know, obviously some Boston sports people, but dad was one of the guys who the three jobs, um, the white t-shirt, the work pants, uh, fixing people's cars, doing anything for everybody else. Um, he was obviously had his own vices and addictions that, you know, kind of molded uh, where I look at myself uh, from an improvement standpoint now. But back then, he was just dad. And when you think of all the jobs that I've mentioned that I've done, uh, one of the best jobs I had was working at a hotel where he worked. Um, and there were two nights a week that we got to work together. I uh, got to know him a lot more. And, you know, I was probably 18, 19, 20, maybe 19, 20, 21 years old and just saw a different side to him. Um, he was a completely different man from the younger version of myself. Um, he did go through a huge transformation, which I think is probably why I just idolize his change and transformation that impacted me moving on. I will have many stories from the hotel, celebrity-driven, but I think probably my most emotional story is one night we were working. Um, Thursday nights was always the night that he would work, and he was a maintenance man. Uh, my cousin Jimmy also worked there, uh, and they would come down 
And we usually had dinner in the cafeteria um, during the middle of the ship, which is usually around two o'clock to three o'clock, and then just go about our business. But one night, it was early, it was probably one o'clock in the morning, and I was sitting in the kitchen area having a cigarette, having a cup of coffee, and all of a sudden, I had my head down, it was a pretty shitty night, and he was came in, and I didn't see him, and he just came right over, sat across from me, and I'm holding my cigarette in my hand as I'm holding my hand in my head. And I felt someone pull the cigarette out of my hand. And I look up and there he is standing there. And he had this smirk um, that was universal for any type of emotion he had, which you either knew it was going to be good, bad, and there was a, a, a world of hurt coming your way. Not violent, but just sarcastically. So he just smirked at me, looked over, and he said, how long have you been doing this? And it hit me and I was about 20 and he never realized or knew that I smoked because when you're a smoker, you always smell smoke. But he just basically never realized it or put two and two together. I think my mother suspected, but I didn't. But he decided that this point, it was going to be something he was going to either teach me a lesson or just make a memory. Either way, it did both. So he pulled out his camels, non-filter little stubby cigarettes, and he took my marble lights, and he went, oh, how pretty, cute cigarettes, candy cigarettes, he called them, and he lit up two cigarettes and gave me one, sat across from me, and we smoked this, and anybody who smoked a non-filter cigarette, you immediately get, you know, quadruple the tar flavor, the nicotine, but also you get the tobacco, so it all started to make sense in a split second about my father, and he was constantly making that sound. And what he was doing was he was pulling the tobacco out from his teeth and getting ready to eventually spit it out or worse, swallow it. So it was pretty disgusting, but he made me smoke eight cigarettes in front of him. I probably turned green. Now this is, I was already smoking for about five or six years, but I probably turned green in front of him. He put out the last, and he always smoked it down to about a half an inch, like those true gritty guys in between the finger, and he had calluses where the burns were for years and years of smoking. And he put out the cigarette, and he said, okay, this is the last time that I see you smoking, please, and don't ever let your mother see you smoke. Got up, grabbed himself a cup of coffee, and walked out. And that was probably the scariest best, most emotional time I've had with him through our entire lives, right up until the time he passed away. So when I say that he was my idol, um, it was more out of respect for one being a dad and also everything that he did for us. You know, like I said, there is some downsides to some negatives, but that's part of the discussion for another time and that I hope you understand that this gives you a little more insight on who I am um, and where I've come from. So I'd love to end this by just saying that I'm looking forward to hearing some of your feedback, understand what you guys want to hear more of, and just stay in touch. All right. Thanks for listening to Excessive Banter, the podcast. I'm your host, Paul McClellan. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Excessive Banter. I hope you liked what you heard, and if not, hit me up with your thoughts. This is an open dialogue between us all. will help me chart my way through the treacherous waters that is podcasting. So be sure to make today the best wicked version of yourself. Take care.